God, help us receive what you have for us this morning. So Jesus, we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. You all can have a seat. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Justin Craig. I am the executive minister here at the church. And uh, for those of you wondering where Randy is, uh, that's generally a fun question I get after, hey, nice job. Where's Randy? Uh, Randy uh, will be back next week. This is the sixth week of his study break. Uh, and Randy has been preparing uh, the last six weeks for what he's going to just share with us through the book of Hebrews. Uh, so if you are one of those students that reads ahead, jump into Hebrews now. We're going to be setting up camp there for quite some time uh, when Randy returns. And so for me, I get the privilege of sharing on this last summer series, and I, I was trying to figure out where, where do we want to go, right? We've had topical series from, from myself and from three of our elders, and I was trying to figure out God, where, where do we need to be here? And, and so I started thinking about, well, what's happening right now? There's been a lot of new happening, right? We've got new students coming to school. We've got returning students coming to campus here. Teachers and kids have gone back to school. And some of us may be starting new jobs with the new school year. Some of us may be wrapping up our times in our jobs. Some of us may be right like me, right in the middle of it. There's no end in sight. You can't remember the beginning, Amen. Amen. Yeah, there was no amens there, but I'm going to say it for you because I know you feel what I'm saying. Amen. There we go. Great. You're with me. I love it. Uh, and so this morning, I really want to take a deep dive into one verse this morning, and it's in Romans chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Romans, because I wanted to talk about something that was very basic to the Christian faith. Now, just because it is basic doesn't mean that it is simple, because what we're talking about this morning is not simple, but it is basic. It is foundational to who we are as Christ followers. Now, as I know I, we could spend like three years in the book of Romans and not gather everything out of here. And so I just want to hit some highlights, maybe some of Paul's famous one-liners to kind of give us some context of where we are this morning. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That's a pretty good one. That's just chapter one. Chapter three, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Chapter five, verse eight, God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Chapter six, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, chapter 8, verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh will set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit will set their minds on the things of the Spirit, chapter 8, verses 37 through 39. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, and he says that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see this entire letter to the Roman church is about God's mercies shown to all by Jesus. 
And in our text today, after all the ways that Paul has explained the mercies of God through Jesus, Paul is now ready to challenge the Romans. And I believe that if we lean in to Romans chapter 12, we'll be challenged too. So Romans chapter 12, verse 1, the lonely verse today. Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So here's where I want to go today. Here's where Paul wants us to go today, is right here. We are called to be more than recipients. We are called to be responders. We are called to be more than recipients of the gospel. We are called to respond to the gospel. We're not simply meant to just come and receive all the time. Yes, that's part of who we are as Christ followers. We are called to receive the invitation of Christ through God's endless love for us on the cross so that we would no longer live in the world of sin, but that we would live in a new life with Christ. That is an invitation we are to receive, but we are not meant to stop there. We are meant to be responders. Maybe a a better way to say this might be, we are not meant to be spiritual consumers. Have you guys noticed that in the world of consumerism that we live in, you can write a review on anything now? I got this toaster at Walmart, horrible, piece of junk, throw it away. We can review anything now. We've become so consumer-minded that anytime we have an experience in a store or in a restaurant, we can now critique it. You know what? We've done the same thing with church. We've become consumers of the house of God. What Paul is challenging us here today is to not be just spiritual consumers, but to be kingdom contributors. We are called to be more than recipients. We are called to be responders. And Paul starts out uh, this time um, by talking about what it means to be a responder, right? He talks about giving up our lives in surrender and sacrifice to worship God through intentional service to him, to his people, and for his kingdom. Paul is challenging the Roman church to step outside, not just their doors, but themselves. To step outside of themselves to be receivers and responders. Paul starts out with this appeal, this this pleading, this invitation, this, this calling for the church to start to respond with their lives. And there's some disagreement among theologians here about what was the feeling behind this appeal that Paul makes. Because this word appeal is, is in the ancient world a military term of from a commanding officer down to the 
reporting officers. And so they're wondering, is this, is this an appeal that is simply authoritarian? Like, is this just an authoritarian, like, just, just, just from a high point, from a command down to the lower people? Some theologians believe that that is Paul's stance here, is that he is, he is really just, just saying, this is what you have to do. And then other theologians believe that Paul is coming alongside and walking next to them and encouraging them to be involved. And after reading both sides of this, I think it's both. I think Paul is speaking from the, the authority of being an apostle, right? Do you remember an apostle? He was, he was commissioned by Jesus, Acts chapter 9, to go and to spread the good news throughout the world. So he has this authority of apostleship, but then he also has this, this camaraderie with the Roman church as a fellow Christ follower, so I think it's both. With Paul's appeal here, I think it would have been like that of a trusted mentor. I've, ha- I've had the same mentor for almost 20 years now. He started out as my youth pastor, and I don't think he knew he was going to become my mentor, but that's just kind of what happened. Uh, it was like, this kid needs a lot of help. Why are you laughing? That's not a joke. <laughs> Man, this is, this is just a, like a hug, which I don't care for. Um, but this is like the relationship of a mentor-mentee, right? Someone that you deeply respect and in turn you know that they deeply care for you. See, with Paul's appeal, the key is to distinguish between is this an obligation, right? Why we ought to do something or is this motivation? Why we actually do something? See, Paul is not challenging the church to be obligated to live as a sacrifice, but motivating them that their lives as a response to God should be to live as a sacrifice for God. Paul's appeal of both authority and relationship lead us into the main components of this text, which is where Paul reminds the Romans of their redemption. He invites them to release or surrender or let go. And then Paul challenges them to respond with their lives. Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God. Paul reminds the Romans about the mercies of God. And and the mercies of God then remind the Romans of God's redemption, which simply means to purchase back. And through God's love and his grace and his presence, we receive the mercies that he gives us. You see, when Paul talks about the mercies of God, he is surely talking first of God's mercy, sending Christ to the cross on their behalf. How do I know this? Well, if we go back and read through the entire letter, Paul always starts with the gospel. There's no getting around it. Every part of this letter to the Romans mentions Jesus and the redemptive work of him on the cross for the benefit of everyone. Paul makes sure that this mercy of God is first and foremost as Jesus' death on the cross is not only God's ultimate display of love, but is where redemption begins. It's where the mercies of God become personal for us. Because Jesus' death and resurrection is for you and for me. The mercies of God draws our attention to the gospel story, right? Really simply put, there's God and then there's 
there's man, and then really closely after man, there's sin, but then Jesus. But Paul is not only talking about one mercy. He's not just talking about the mercy of the cross, but he's talking about multiple mercies here. It's not just a quick reflection on the cross, but a deep dive into the personal mercies that every listener has experienced through God. You see, if we sit back and we reflect on our life with Christ, I'm certain that we can remember our conversion point, right? Our encounter with Jesus where we see our sin and acknowledge our brokenness, and then we see our Savior and receive the invitation of restoration. This is foundational in all that we are and do, but reflecting back, on different seasons of our lives will also draw our attention to being reminded of the individual daily mercies that we receive. Lamentations 3 talks plainly about this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Every morning we wake up to fresh mercies, never day old, never dry, never run out. New mercies await us every day. Just as Paul is reminding the Romans of God's unlimited and unending mercies, we too can be reminded of those same mercy memories. I was taught about God's mercy at an early age. My mom went through cancer. Whew, I don't know why that just came flooding back. Like You guys saw that? It was like, whoa. Mom went through cancer when I was a little kid. And every day, every day, we saw God's mercies at hand. When my wife and I first got married, we had nothing. She had saved some money because she's a better person than I am, but we had nothing. But yet we saw God's mercies each and every day when our oldest daughter was born. She had an infection in her blood that allowed us to stay at the hospital 10 extra days in the NICU. As new parents, we had no idea what to do, but we saw God's mercies every day. A few years ago, when our then five-year-old fell off a seven-foot play structure and we had to take her to the clinic, we saw God's mercies at hand. And last December, when my wife had surgery... We saw God's mercies every day, and we saw them through you. I'm so thankful. You see, if we take time and step back and reflect, we can see God's everyday mercies. Right? We, when sin creeps into our lives, we see the mercy of grace. When, when, when medical bills pile up, we see God's mercies of provision. When we are exhausted and depleted, we see God's mercies of rest. Why? Why does God give us these mercies? Because mercies allow us to return to the fact that God loves us and God is present with us. So when Paul says, by the mercies of God... He's reminding us of God's initial and continual redemptive work in our lives. Paul always starts with the gospel. And the gospel is all about the redemptive work of Christ in our lives through God's mercies. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, 
holy and acceptable to God. See, we don't just have this reminder of God's redemptive work, but now Paul is sending out invitations. Did you see it? Did you get yours? The invitation? Paul is sending out invitations. He is inviting every Christ follower to live lives that are released to God. To live lives that are given over to God, that are surrendered to God, that are released into God's hands and plan. The word present means to dedicate and devote and to place ourselves beside Christ. So when Paul says to present your bodies, the literal translation is to devote and dedicate and place ourselves next to God as a sacrifice or as a offering to God. And then Paul gives us three attributes to that presentation of our bodies as sacrifices. He gives us three attributes to be a living sacrifice, to be holy and acceptable. Living sacrifices where Paul makes sure to differentiate this kind of sacrifice with the Old Testament idea of sacrifice. See, the Old Testament sacrifice is that of a burnt offering, a sacrifice that could be made once because of the nature of the now dead sacrifice given over to God. You see, you can't kill an animal twice. And this differentiation here is crucial as sacrificing to God is not a one and done situation. Being a living sacrifice is not a one-time commitment at our conversion, but is a continual and active release of ourselves into the hands and plan of God. Commitment starts at our conversion, but it continues each and every day in each and every situation, in each and every conversation, and in each and every decision. The commitment to living a life as a living sacrifice is continually giving ourselves over to God, continually giving up, continually surrendering, continually offering ourselves, our plan, our will, our schedules, our time, our talents, our resources, and our lives up to God. You see, it's not that we are to die for God, but we are to live for him. And in order to live for Christ, we must first die to ourselves. And in order to die to ourselves, we have to release this grip that we have on our lives. In giving ourselves away, we can't hang on. We can't command every corner of our lives. We can't pretend that we are the savior of ourselves. We have to surrender. We have to let go. We have to release in order to be a living sacrifice. So the question here becomes, are we willing to let go of the desire to control? Because the desire to be led by God needs to be greater than our desire to control. But Paul not only says to be a living sacrifice, but he says to be holy as well. A holy sacrifice. When when Paul talks about being holy, he means being set apart. Now, Now, if holy means to be set apart, what are we supposed to be set apart from? Well, set apart from selfish ambition. If we were to go to Philippians, that's what Paul would say. Set apart from destructive distraction. Set apart from a hurried pace. Set apart from the sin that so easily entangles us. We are to be set apart so that we can live as foreigners because this is not our home. Our home is not here. 
Our final spot is not here. We are to be set apart so that we can live as foreigners. You've heard the phrase, in the world, but not of the world. You see, when Paul talks about being a holy sacrifice, he's also talking about being pure or without blemish, right? This attribute of a sacrifice has not changed from the time of the Old Testament. The requirements for sacrifice in the Old Testament were to be without blemish. Leviticus chapter 1, verse 3. I know you all have that memorized because Leviticus is just so compelling. This attribute has stayed the same here with Paul's invitation to be a sacrifice. But here's the deal, church. Here's the deal. Being without blemish in a sinful world with a sinful heart, with sinful tendencies, is why we must lean back onto the redemptive work of Christ for us. It's it's why Paul starts with the gospel. Because without blemish is not attainable for us, but was accomplished by Christ for us. If we are going to be a holy sacrifice, we must be constantly relying on Christ and consciously setting ourselves apart from the sinful components of the culture around us. So the question here becomes, are we willing to let go of the sin that stops us from serving our Savior? Paul says to be a living sacrifice. He says to be a holy sacrifice, but now Paul turns his attention to being acceptable to God. Acceptable means to be fully agreeable. It means to be well-pleasing. When we're talking about being acceptable to God, it is that we are well-pleasing to God. When our sacrifice is acceptable to God, it means that we, our hearts and our minds, our really important word here, are aligned with God's heart and God's mind. It's when we are chasing after him. It's it's when we are running after his will. It's when we seek his approval. It's when we are following him. It's when we are hungering and thirsting for Christ. It's when our lives are reflections of the redemptive work of Jesus. Being acceptable to God means that we are aligned with God and aligning our lives with God pleases him. It's like, and maybe some of you know this, I don't know this personally, uh, it's like when you say something to your child, like go pick up the Legos, and they go and pick up the Legos. I don't know what that's like. Maybe some of you know what that's like. I To me, it's always met with some sort of resistance uh, or or some sort of more questions. Why do I have to pick them up? Because when I step on them, I I make me cry. (laughs) But but it's like this, right, where you tell your child to go and do something, and then they actually go and do it. This would please somebody, right? It would please us so much as parents that we'd be like, you know what? You guys have been great. I'm now retiring from parenting. Thank you so much. I will be leading seminars on YouTube and live at the United Center in Chicago. It's going to be great. Uh, You know, we're just an expert now. It would please us so much, right, as parents, when we tell our kids to do something and it actually goes and gets done. It's the same way with God and us. When we are acceptable to God, it means that we are aligning ourselves with God's will and God's heart and God's mind. You see, for a third time, Paul goes back to reference the Old Testament here, right? In Leviticus 1.9, it talks about a burnt offering and a sacrifice that is without blemish. It is a pleasing aroma to the Lord. 
a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If we are going to be an acceptable sacrifice, we are going to be a, a, a pleasing aroma to the Lord, we must be aligned with God. Well, how do we align ourselves with God, Justin? Great question. Glad you guys are with me. We have to be in communion with him. We have to be shaped by the word, moved by worship, and compelled to serve his kingdom. We have to be in communion with God. And if we are aligned with God, we have to be in communication with God. We have to spend time in prayer Laying our hearts out before God, but then also listening to what God has in store for us. Because it's impossible to be aligned with someone we have never spent time with or communicate with. But here's the deal. Here's the the disclaimer. If we are aligned with God, we will most often be misaligned with the culture. If we look more like Christ, we will look less like the world. If, if, if we are sacrificing ourselves to God, we no longer need to be servants of the world. If, if we are going to be acceptable to God, then there's a good chance we will be rejected by the world. Look what they did to Jesus. As acceptable sacrifices, we must release the desire to be loved by and fit in with the world around us and embrace the love of God that is in us. So the question here becomes, are we willing to release our acceptance by the culture to be aligned with God? Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul's use for the word spiritual here, which can also mean reasonable or rational or logical or thoughtful, brings about a tone of worship that is mindful and intelligent and thoughtful. John Murray writes in his commentary on Romans, he says, the use of our bodies is characterized by conscious, intelligent, consecrated devotion to the service of God. When Paul says that this is our spiritual worship, he is saying that this kind of living and holy and acceptable sacrifice is a well-thought-out devotion to God. And, And here's the thing. If it's well thought out, that means we've thought about it more than once. And if we've thought about it more than once, then it starts to make sense. And if it starts to make sense, then it's going to start to make us respond. How do we respond? We step into the kingdom work that is awaiting us. And there's kingdom work all around us. There's kingdom work in our homes, which is where the gospel should be taught first. Don't wait to bring your kids to church before you teach them about the word of God. Kingdom work happens in our workplaces, right, where we could be the first voice of the gospel in someone's life. Kingdom work happens in our schools where we get to send our children out to be the light of the world, where teachers get to be the light in how they respond and talk to children. We, we, there's kingdom work in our neighborhoods where we naturally take care of each other. There's kingdom work in our community where we can bring the gospel message of hope. There's kingdom work all over the world where we get to be the delivery system of the deliverer. There's kingdom work in our church 
where we're not just rocking babies, <laughs> but we are speaking the gospel message to them. We're not just jumping around to worship songs and kids' ministry, but opening scripture and helping kids take their first steps into the Bible. We're, we're, not just giving, we're not just giving teenagers a place to have fun. We're giving teenagers a safe and biblical space to wrestle with life's big questions. See, we're, we're, we're living life in small groups. We're, we're worshiping together. We are reaching out to the community around us. There is kingdom work everywhere. And our thoughtful worship and service to the Lord is through our living, holy, and acceptable sacrifice to his will, his plan, and his kingdom. Church, we are called to be more than recipients. We are called to be responders, responders to God's love, responders to God's grace, responders to God's truth. So the question here becomes, how will we respond to Paul's appeal to being a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God? How will we respond? Now, I could give you a list of 10 things about how to respond yourselves, but I thought that would be a little inappropriate because this is, this is a personal thing between you and God. God knows you. God has wired you to do something significant and special. Why would I tell you how to respond? but I'm gonna tell you how I'm gonna respond. Because this last week, God did some wrecking in my heart. The first way I'm going to respond to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, is that I'm, I'm leading our fourth and fifth grade ministry on Wednesday nights. I knew that was a need for our kids' ministry a couple years ago, so I stepped in, and I love doing that. I get, to, I get to write the lesson plan and talk about what we're talking about. It's going to be great. We're going through Philippians, 13 weeks on Philippians if you want to join us. There's some dodgeball that happens. Bring headgear, whatever you need. I also have this feeling to respond by going on another mission trip with our church. Whether it's back to the Dominican Republic or back to Peru for me, I, I, I don't know the details of it, but I feel the stirring of it. Another way that I'm going to respond, and I don't know, Karen Combs, she might be in here. I got to share all this with her because she just happened to be in my line of sight after all this happened in my office. So sorry, Karen. Uh, but Thursday afternoon, as I'm wrapping up my message prep for the week, I get a text from one of our contacts at FCA asking me if I'd come and be a chaplain for them. And I was like, yes. I used to do that several years ago, then COVID and everything else. And now I get to step back into that world where I get to take my Bible, I get to take prayer and the gospel message and go talk to teenagers in their school, on their, on their sports field, on their basketball court, and talk with them and their coaches about Jesus. What a gift. And the, the final way that, um, I'm trying to figure out how to say this, um, the final way that, I feel the need to respond is more personal. For those that know me best, you know that I am naturally an introvert. I really am, ask my wife, she's right over there. She'll give the amen. Uh, I, I naturally recharge in time alone time of silence, solitude with the Lord, or just time listening to music, whatever it is, just time spent alone. And, 
that's how I'm naturally wired. But here's the thing. I have used that part of my personality to hinder part of my calling. And that's not okay. I've used that as an excuse to not interact with people that I should interact with. And that's not okay. I don't know how God's going to use that yet. Honey, maybe we get invited over to 52 barbecues this week. I don't know. Uh, I don't know how God's going to use that yet. But again, without knowing the details, I feel the stirring happening in me. So the question is, is how will we respond? How will you respond? To not just be recipients, but to be responders. How will we respond? So here's something that I want to do. I don't generally offer this up to everybody, but up on the screen is my email. I would love to get an email from you knowing two things. One, how you're going to respond. And two, how I can pray for you. How you're going to respond. Maybe you want to respond by serving here at church. Tell me their name. Tell me where you want to serve and I will get you plugged in somewhere. Maybe you feel the need to respond by leading a Bible study at work, however frowned upon that is. I don't know how you're going to respond, but I would love to hear about how God is stirring in your heart to respond. And then I want to know how I can pray for you. Because this journey is not meant to be lived alone. It's not meant to be in a world of isolation. So I want to know, how will we respond? Because we are called to be more than recipients. We are called to be responders. Let's pray.